0: Reading now from the Gospel of Mark, Uh, we turn to the lectionary choice for this Sunday, which is Mark chapter 1, and this year the emphasis is on the Gospel of Mark. The readings, for the most part, come from there. And we start at verse 14 today. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. Our scripture is Mark chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there, and we will have prayer. Lord God, natural man, you say do, does not understand the things of God, and so we pray for your spirit to help us. We pray that we can respond as your children uh, with a teachable heart, to have the faith of a little child, and to uh, ultimately, Lord, uh, to long to hear a word that comes from you. And we pray, God, that as you're as your, as your blessing others, that you would not pass us by Uh, Lord, we ask that the preaching would be faithful, and that you would be our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Yeah, I love this uh, last hymn that we uh, sang. I I think in terms of my own life, when we uh, went away to seminary to Philadelphia, uh, to a place where I didn't know anybody, but I went on the basis of my correspondence with the seminary, my reputation, uh, that, that I learned of the reputation the seminary had and what I believed I, it could teach me. Uh, when, when I left uh, for uh, Philadelphia and to begin a study, I have to tell you that I was not thinking Uh, About the end result and that might seem a little strange to you Uh, but I had not seen in in my experience of Churches that were really nice to their pastors and It was one of the things that caused me to hesitate becoming a pastor and seeing how churches even treated pastors wives It didn't make me want to be a pastor. I'm thankful that things have turned out differently for me, uh, but my experience before going, I wasn't thinking about the church. All I was thinking about was a call that I had from Christ and a call that I had rejected for some years ahead of that. And so when I read the story of Jonah and the story of Jeremiah, I kind of resonate with some of those tendency the, the reluctance uh, though even on the unwillingness willingness uh, to go uh, do that initially but when I went to seminary it was uh, with the idea in my head what a great privilege it would be to study God's word and to come to know Christ to know him better and and so um, when we look at this passage uh, we we're just focusing on on jesus and often we have to choose in life would you rather have jesus or would you rather have something a replacement uh here in the song that we just sang you know silver or gold as in or fame would you rather have that or would you give that up to, to follow Christ? Uh, would you rather have Jesus? Or in our text here, more accurately, would you rather have, have King Jesus? Because this is what he's announcing. The kingdom of God. That he has come, Jesus has come to be your king. In verse 15, John is out of the picture now. John's in prison. John is going to die a martyr's death. But Jesus goes to Galilee, a place prophesied in Isaiah 9, where they would see a great light. He's proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the the good news. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom God of God. The kingdom of God has come. And he was a preacher. He was one who proclaimed this message. He's a herald. And so when you think about preaching, when I think about preaching, what I want people to do when I hear sermons, when I'm in your place and I'm listening to a sermon, I would like to hear the person share God's word with me. And I think of pastors that I heard, and I remember a pastor, I didn't hear him all that much, but I heard him enough to know that he had some hobby horses. And a hobby horse is something you like to go to as sort of a favorite theme, and pastors can do that. And I try not to. But this pastor was, every sermon I ever heard him preach, he started talking about drinking and smoking. Every sermon. And it wasn't in the text, but he talked about it every sermon. And so I got to the point where I listened to the sermon, and I think, well, where, when's it going to come? When's it going to come? And then it would show up. And, uh, but Jesus doesn't have a hobby horse. That would be very wrong to put it that way. But he's got an overarching uh, theme or an idea here, a concept, that he brings up again and again. What is Jesus always talking about? In the parables, in the sermons, in the lessons, he's talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. And the message is good news. God is a king. And so, and Christ is, is uh, born king. And he's on, he dies on the cross, king. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So think of it this way. If in 2024, after, you, after the election, you have the most perfect president you can imagine to govern the country. Do you think that'll happen? Uh, one that'll always get every decision right and one that has complete understanding of the, uh, of, of, uh, of the, whole, the whole problem. Well, that's Jesus. Uh, He is the king. His kingdom is everlasting. And the time has come. The time has come. Now, when you think about the rule of God, and this is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. And the rule of God is not a democracy, by the way, where we all get to decide. Uh, It is not a republic where we select people to make decisions for us, it is a theocracy. It is God ruling, all right, the kingdom of God. And so the question then, is, is God doing this right now? Well, we would say we look at our world and we see death, we see sickness, we see all sorts of crime and corruption and problems and evil, and uh, violence and, and, and uh, sickness and thorns and thistles and problems at work. And, and we see all this and we, we know that this isn't heaven. Uh, this isn't the full rule of God. This isn't, you know, we're praying the kingdom of God will come. And that part isn't, isn't here yet. There, there's something that's not here that someday will be here. But there's an already part of it. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come. And so Jesus tells us about the kingdom of God being now in our hearts. The king is ruling in the hearts of his people. Isn't that true? Where Jesus comes, there's, there's a different life. And what we see when we read through the Old Testament, we see teachings on the kingdom of God, but where it really takes off is when the Messiah, David's son, the Messiah, started preaching about the kingdom of God. And this is really uh, the the full-blown picture of, of the gospel. And Paul summarized his ministry in Acts chapter 20, and this is a very important passage in Acts 20, where he sends for the elders of Ephesus to come to this port city of Miletus where his ship is docked, And he summarizes his message, his work at Ephesus with the elders. He said, you know how I ministered among you. So I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful. I taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I declare to you today I'm innocent of of the blood of all men. He said, "Now I know that none of you, among you, whom I'm gone about preaching a kingdom, will ever see me again." His, he called his work the preaching of the kingdom, and so we're to keep watch over the flock. We're to be shepherds of the God, of, of the flock of the Church of God, and the kingdom of God needs to be reflected in the mission of the church. The rule of Christ, a gathering of the people, uh, and, and I've been very uh, pleased with our benevolent giving over the years. Where, if you look on all the things that our church has supported—missionaries, uh, the work, the agencies of our denomination, Christian Ed, and home missions, and and all sorts of things—and uh, a ministry to um, unwed mothers, Bethany Christian Fellowship, and and uh the Christian schools and seminaries and and uh, radio ministries, uh, the Mideast and and so many things. Well this is you know the kingdom of God approach to things. And God calls it to calls us to support it. And um, I'm thankful that in the history of our church here we've been able to do that for many years, to the tune of about one-seventh of our of our, uh, what we actually took in, or even sometimes one-sixth of what we took in to have that as the outgoing mission work of the church and the kingdom of, the rule of, of God in our world. And along with this call of the kingdom of God is this command to repent and believe the good news. And so we have Something similar to Jonah, and actually Jonah came from this part of the country. Uh, Jonah, who had this message to call Nineveh to repentance. It wasn't his message, and he didn't want to go, but God told him to go. And so Christ here commands us to repent. And what did that mean for the people of Nineveh? Well, they had to turn from their evil ways, and to hate their evil ways. And so what it means in the first place is that you change your mind so that you agree with God. So you're not saying uh, no to God, and I won't accept that, but you receive it. And we think of the prodigal son, where he's hungry, he's in the pigsty. And Luke 15, 17 says he came to his senses. Well, that was the work of God. But he looked around and said, what am I doing here? What am I doing in the pig pen? I had to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This is a picture of repentance. And then he goes. He doesn't stay there. You don't doubt God's word like the serpent in the garden. Did God really say? Or to deny it, where... Eve said, if we eat it, we're going to die. And the serpent said, you're not going to die. You will not surely die. And goes against the teaching of God. Uh, Don't doubt God's word. King of Nineveh had no doubt when Jonah came preaching. 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. As far as I can tell uh, from whatever I've read, there's no external threats of of a coming army or anything like that. But this amazing response, they repented and God spared them. And Jonah made a proclamation of God's message. It wasn't Jonah's message, it's God's message. And Jonah had no, absolutely no choice but to proclaim it. And what happened? The king made a proclamation that people were to give up their evil ways and the Lord had compassion on them. Well, who would have guessed? And that's a call. I would think Jonah would have felt kind of strange preaching that. And yet, that was exactly what they needed to hear. Well, modern man today doesn't want a gospel like that. And in many places, the church in response, giving that man-pleasing gospel, does not call sin sinful. Uh, Sin is defined in Scripture as breaking the commandments And when that happens, you don't say in response, well, who's to judge? You know, who's to know what's right and wrong? You know, the prodigal son knew he had sinned against God and against his father. He had broken God's commandments and dishonoring both. And with modern preaching, then, in many places, there's no right or wrong. And the prodigal son can just die in a hog pen, and it's quite all right. Uh, One of the things that helps every preacher... And, and helps anyone witnessing for the Lord is his teaching in Romans chapter 2 that the Gentiles, who do not have the law, in other words, they don't know God, and when they do by nature things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And so this is a neat thing, that people have and an innate knowledge of right and wrong. It's already wired in, and they might deny it. They might say, no, uh, uh, yeah, in, in our world, you know, we've come to understand there's man and woman and all these variations uh, that's not in Scripture, uh, but they know better deep down. And you can say "You can say to them, you know better than that, because they really do. We must not play games with the Word of God that, depend on false teaching where we, are, we actually accept them and it goes against God's word. God's word has built-in warnings to stop this kind of activity. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, don't go against God in those ways. And we have our Lord, you know, we include the warnings here from our Lord in his sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven and then later in toward the end of the sermon Jesus said watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves and that is not to be taken lightly in our culture today uh, we have a lot of a lot of um, preaching uh, that is about the health and wealth of Uh, promises uh, that, you know, God wants you rich and God wants you healthy and uh, you just have to to believe and and, uh, and these pastors fly around in their private jets and I'm not saying that to criticize them but that's just not what we have in the Bible where we're told to uh, repent, to turn from sin, that's the second part of repentance, to turn from it. You used to do it, and now you hate it. What's, what we used to uh, keep and cover and protect, now you turn and you hate it. Turn from evil and you do good. Sometimes we look around in our world and we're tempted to say, well, everybody else is doing it. How, you know, how can it be wrong? Well, in the Bible, majority vote doesn't matter. The whole world can be wrong but you have to be faithful. Peter brings this up in his letter, talks about Noah and Noah's day. All those people, only eight of them, only eight of them, Noah, his three sons and their wives, only eight of them went into the ark and were saved. We th- think of sin in our lives and what is that sin it's rebellion against god it's saying no to god and when we repent when we agree with god we turn from sin and our rebellion and we have a different response we accept the rule of christ he's going to be our king we're going to serve him the poster child uh, the embodiment of repentance And one of the places in the Bible is the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 of the tax collector who had cheated, I'm sure, many people. But he comes to church and the holiness of God grips him and he cries out because of his sin and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we assume after that his life was changed and and he lived differently and God said he went home justified. But the Pharisee who said, hey, you know what? I've got it all together. I've never done anything wrong. Uh, I'm okay the way I am. Uh, Nothing to fix here. Well, nothing happened to him, and he remained in his sin. We have to turn to God, turn from evil and do good. We might think about our response uh, to things that are wrong around us, You know, when we get into conflict with others, uh, C.S. Lewis said, if people are wrong, they need your prayers. If they are your enemies, you're under orders to pray for them. So think about how you respond to people that are against you, that cause trouble in your lives. Are you praying for them? Or do you have a different response? The Apostle Paul, as he thought about his life before he became a Christian, a follower of Christ, to after, he he talked about this change in Titus chapter 3 that he went from hating others and being hated to loving one another. That was his response. A different response and we have this brought about by the Holy Spirit he talks about this renewal that comes by the Holy Spirit so this is what he saw all that anger and hatred just got drained out of his life and something wonderful was replaced because of the work of the Spirit of God look at your responses to people Christ commands us then to believe the good news the gospel it comes to us and you hear that, you know, we have a king, uh, one that's going to have a better existence for us in the future. Uh, because of the forgiveness of sins, we have a better life now. We have a great future ahead. We're called to faith. Repent and believe. Believe that. Heidelberg Catechism gives a good definition of that belief, that faith, that true faith is a sure knowledge. There's no doubt there, sure knowledge, whereby I accept as true that God, all that God has revealed in his word, at the same time, it is a firm confidence, a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, that God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace. So you look around and you say, well, yeah, other people are forgiven, but I'm not sure about me. Well, the Holy Spirit uh, brings that to bear in your life. Uh, where where you believe what God has said, and you have that confidence. And so the the faith that the Holy Spirit works in, in our hearts is by the gospel. That's what the catechism answer said. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. So I look to Christ as I believe in him, and I take my eyes off myself. Heidelberg Catechism said, "'Where is your only comfort in life and in death, "'that I am not my, my own, but belong body and soul "'in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ.'" And goes on to talk about his death on our behalf, about his providential care, about his Holy Spirit that he gives us so we can be wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And so that's the gospel. We're to repent and believe. And the gospel gives us hope for the next life as we receive that we don't doubt it and so Christ commands us to follow him that's a command to his disciples last week we looked at it from John chapter 1 Nathaniel or excuse me Philip was told by Jesus follow me at the end of John's gospel Peter's told follow me that really sums up the the God, the disciples call and John, and you think about how many people that you've ever met that you would want to wholeheartedly follow. In everything, I would say not anybody, only Christ. And the promise to the disciples is, I will make you fishers of men. Something even more important than catching fish for. Their families living, and we see them in the Bible. There are like seven, of them, seven fishermen that become disciples, but they're called by Christ. And later he's going to say, you, you didn't choose me, I chose you. They're called by Christ, and when they get that call, they, their response is immediate obedience. And that's the correct response, not to hold back and say, well, that, that's going to cost me. No, immediate obedience, and it's going to be a costly obedience. And so the gospel really is the same today as always, and Jesus commands, uh, come to us with urgency. Uh, The time is now, repent and believe the good news. And so his disciples can sing. I hope you were able to sing. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Let's pray. Father God, uh, this call to be a disciple is so important and your kingdom is so important and it's such a privilege for us to be a citizen of that kingdom and to have our citizenship in heaven and to be praying that our king would return and this your wonderful kingdom would finally come to this world in its fullest form Uh, We pray this would be our faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.